I don't know about you, but I'm kind of feeling old today. And by the way, I blame this on Michael J. Fox. How many of you remember Michael? Throughout the 1980s and 90s, I think his plays both in the television and film world were prolific. Michael, of course, got a start in a couple of movies in the early 80s. Probably not many of you will remember a movie titled Midnight Madness or Class of 84, both early Michael movies. But Fox really got his big break in an NBC sitcom called Family Ties. I still love watching Family Ties. On the show, if you remember with me, uh, he played the role of a young Republican named Alex Keaton. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't think anyone's ever nailed a role more perfectly. Remember this? He had a dad who was kind of on the more liberal side, and Michael was on the conservative republic side. It just made for fun. So try this. If you've never seen it, go to YouTube, search Family Ties, watch him at work on a sitcom, and tell me if you don't laugh your way through it. He had a gift. Michael did. He had a knack, an artistic touch that earned him awards, the Golden Globes, People's Choice Awards, the Emmys, and even the Academy. And then it happened. Tremors. In 1991, while filming a movie titled, paradoxically, Doc Hollywood, Fox ended up going to a doc in Hollywood. He had noticed two things. First, his little finger was twitching. Not a big deal. A twitching finger. Secondly, his shoulder was sore. He, he couldn't recall having done anything to it. He hadn't hit anything. Nothing had hit him. It's just sore. So he, he went to the doctor and didn't expect much. Maybe the talk would dial up a recommendation for more rest. Look, Michael, your muscles are sore. Your fingers are twitching. Are you sleeping enough? Get some more rest. Oh, and that sore shoulder, take an aspirin or two. Call me in the morning. No big deal but he couldn't have been more wrong. After an examination, his doctor broke the news. Michael, within a couple of years, you'll not even be able to work. Your body will physically be a mess. Michael J. Fox was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. You know, as I tape this podcast, I'm struck by the fact that it's been 32 years now since that diagnosis was shared on the evening news. Most of you that are my age re remember asking yourself, do you think this will limit Michael's career? We, we had no idea. The fact is it has. Uh, Parkinson's disease has led to an early retirement on his part. It slowed him down. But the good news, it didn't stop him. Uh, while the disease stole part of his career, it also provided him with a platform to serve others. And he's done that beautifully. In fact, over the last three decades, he's become a spokesperson and advocate for those facing this debilitating disease. He's raised countless dollars, contributed to research and the development of new medicines, and approaches towards the treatment of Parkinson's. But more than anything else, he's brought hope into the lives of many, not, not just the victims of this disease, but ordinary people like, like you and me. When you face adversity, you cannot help but look into the face of Michael J. Fox, hear his optimistic voice, and think about hope. Has Michael Fox beaten Parkinson's disease? Has he overcome its death grip? No. But he's not allowed it to take his life hostage. He's pushed through to become a living example of what courage looks like in the face of adversity. 
So believe it or not, it was actually a Michael J. Fox film that came to mind as I began to work on our topic for today's podcast. I don't know how many of you remember the 1985 film, Back to the Future. I, I think it was one of Michael's best. But it was a great film. It, it was built around a plot line involving a 17-year-old Marty McFly, played by Fox, who steps into a time machine built from a DeLorean. It's kind of funny when you look back on it. He travels back in time from October 1985 to November 1955. And immediately a dilemma develops. The 17-year-old Marty McFly's future mother, his mother, falls in love with him rather than his future father, threatening, if you think about it, his own future existence. Just do the math. To solve the problem, Marty must figure out a way to power up the 1.21 gigawatt flux capacitor on the DeLorean that will allow him to reverse the curse that he's brought about by traveling forward in time to 1985 once again. The idea at its core is pretty simple. Marty has to travel back to the future. While the Bible doesn't contain stories that have anything at all to do with capacitors or time travel, I want you to think about this. There, there really is a sense in which the scriptures introduce to us the idea of traveling back in time in order to understand both the present and the future. I'm referring, of course, to the manner in which the 11th chapter of Daniel takes us back to the year 623 B.C. while pointing us forward to a future that not even Daniel himself would come to know. When you think about it, God gives to Daniel the prophecy that he does in chapter 11 and knows that Daniel will pass away, he'll die, long before any of it becomes a reality. So you, so you find yourself asking the question, well, then why give these words to Daniel? I mean, he's not even going to see these words become realized. Well, isn't it true that God is thinking about all the people that will come after Daniel? People like you and me. What God knows is the reality that those who would come after Daniel would pick up this book and study it. In doing so, we're going back, back in a time in history that's come and gone. Yet the words that God gives to Daniel in this chapter provide for those who go back a view into the future. If I were reading these words of Daniel during the reign of Persia, 559 to 331 BC, I would be looking back at words that point me to the future reality that there was coming a nation that would unseat me, us, the Persians, from power, namely the nation of Greece. Again, if I, if I were reading these words of Daniel during the reign of Greece, I would be looking back at words that point me to the future reality that there was coming a nation that would unseat me, us, the Greeks, from power, namely the nation of Rome. So what about you and me living in the year 2023? When we go back, do these words point us forward to the future? Do they point us to a time when the United States will no longer be the most powerful nation on earth? I actually believe the answer to that question is, well, yes, they do. They, they do point us to that future. They point us to a future where there will be significant upheaval and war on the face of Earth, a war in which the United States is not the most dominant force in the world. So who is? Do these words point us to a future in which China is the world power, or, or Russia? Possibly. The truth is that as much as those living in the time of the Greek Empire could not possibly have identified Rome as the nation that would overcome them, neither can we. 
That said, there is one thing that we absolutely can know about the future as we read this chapter of Daniel. We can know that there is a spiritual force at work behind the scenes doing things which we see in the visible realm, our experience on earth. There's one force at work that means to take captive as many souls as possible. And the name of that force is the Antichrist. In fact, I want to say this as clearly as I can. I believe that the ultimate goal of Daniel chapter 11 is not to have readers try to guess which world power will overthrow the current and dominant one, but rather what it means when we say that behind what we see with our eyes and experience through the battles that go on in our lives will occur within history something much greater. The much greater war that's going on is that between Satan and his forces of, and God and his Sabbath army. Why? Because this is a war for souls that will ultimately lead to Earth's final battle. We call it Armageddon and the return of Jesus. Until his return, what Daniel 11 is shouting at the top of its lungs is a single message. Here's the message. Church, pay attention. Understand the times in which you dwell. For this is the time, the time that we're living in right now, in which Antichrist is at work. Just, just listen to these words. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Uh, remember, remember with me what's been happening, kind of where we left off last week. Jesus has been pointing us as readers to the rising up and then the falling of several great empires. He points Daniel to the fact that Persia would overcome Babylon. That does occur within Daniel's lifetime. He points Daniel to the fact that Greece would overcome Persia. He points us to the fact that Rome would overcome Greece. And then something happens. As you get to the end of chapter 11, a big jump takes place. Using the character of Antiochus Epiphanes IV as a type for the Antichrist, Jesus takes Daniel, as much as us, all the way to the end of Earth's history. He takes us to a time in history in which Antichrist is at work fighting for the souls of men, a fight that will conclude with Armageddon and the resurrection or return of Jesus. I want you to listen to these words. Again, we're in Daniel 11, verses 22 to 45, and concentrating on the very last verses. And we pray, Lord, that you give us insight as we hear these words. Now, let's just go ahead and read it. It says, But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. This is pointing literally to Antiochus IV. News from the east and north shall alarm him. But it's also pointing us figuratively or typologically to Antichrist. Next words. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and to devote many to destruction. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like Revelation 11. Revelation 12, where Satan, the ultimate Antichrist, has been defeated by Jesus. And when he sees this, he goes out with fury to destroy those who belong to Jesus. Interesting. Let's continue. And he, namely Antichrist, shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. I think these words are just significant. Think about this. How does Satan, how does Antichrist work? He seeks to deceive, 
to lead people into sin and then cause people to actually believe that there really is no such thing as sin. A tactic, by the way, that seems to be working pretty well in the West these days. So watch this. Go back to the words we just read. And he, Antichrist, shall pitch his palatial tents. Palatial tents look good, by the way. They have big welcome mats. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Just picture that. Palatial, beautiful, welcome mat tents between the sea and on the other side of the glorious holy mountain. So do you know what the sea symbolically stands for in the Old Testament? Sin. What does Satan, Antichrist, is seeking to lead people into? Into sin. And what's on the other side of sin? On the other side of the sea? The holy glorious mountain. You know what that is? Just think Moses. What did Moses do? He went up onto the holy glorious mountain to receive from God what we call the ten words of God, the ten commandments. So put these two thoughts together. Satan deceives people into sin and the commandments require an answer to sin. Now, who should be the go-between? Between sin and the requirement of the, the commandments. Who should be the go-between is what? Jesus. I, I sin. How, how am I going to overcome a sin? I can't. And so I go to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will fulfill the commandments for you. So where does Satan pitch his tent? In the place of Jesus. He puts himself between sin and the Ten Commandments. So here sits Satan, the ultimate Antichrist. What's he saying to the world? I'm the answer. I'm the answer to sin. I'm the answer. Because the answer is not that you run to Jesus for help. But what did he tell Adam and Eve in the garden? The answer is, <laughs> you should just become your own God. You're the ones who should know what's right and what's wrong. In other words, what Daniel is giving us is an incredible word picture that points us to what's happening this very day. This battle going on for souls. And who's seeking to destroy us? Satan, the ultimate antichrist, along with human beings that the Bible calls antichrists because they belong to him, the antichrist, and they are doing his work of deceiving. So here, here's what I'd like to do over the next couple of podcasts. I want to answer some questions. The questions I want to get into are these. What, what is the antichrist? What parts of the Bible talk about the Antichrist? Should we be afraid of the Antichrist? Is Antichrist someone, something already here or something that's yet to come? Uh, today we'll begin our own back to the future journey. Back into the words of scripture that help us understand how Antichrist is at work right now in our world today. Now as we get started, I, I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge the fact that there's a corpus, a body of work in our world today about Antichrist and who Antichrist is. That's absolutely confusing. I mean, that, that's just the truth, isn't it? Sticking about this this past week, I noticed a, a free magazine in our family mailbox. And on the front cover of the magazine was a high school-aged boy pictured. Beneath him were these words, the mark of the beast. And I thought to myself, we'll talk about tying. Here I am just getting ready to work on this podcast, and this magazine shows up in my mailbox. I read it, by the way, and then put it in my round file, the trash can. You know why? The magazine is not biblical. It sought to scare, and it did so by distorting everything the scriptures actually teach about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. 
what the magazine caused me to realize is the truth that there's a lot of bad, scary, and outright unbiblical stuff in our culture that sets the topic of Antichrist before us. And I'm talking about movies and songs and plays and sermons and Bible studies, and my list could go on. So here, here's what I want to do. When a person wants to make a study of Antichrist in the Bible, where ought they to turn? Can you name for me the books, chapters of the Bible that are primary in dealing with this subject? So here, here's what I've discovered. If you can't, don't feel bad. Most people cannot. Most people cannot tell me where to look in the Bible to discover its teachings on Antichrist. As, as a result, I think there's just a lot of fuzzy thinking, even within the church, about what the Bible means when it speaks to the person and work of Antichrist. Here's the starting point. The, the first thing I want you to recognize is the fact that the Bible specifically uses the term Antichrist only four times. All four to be found in the epistles of John written by the apostle towards the end of his life, specifically 1 John 2, 18-22, where two references to Antichrist are made, 1 John 4, 3, a third, and 2 John 7. Now that said, there are several other chapters of scripture that add to what John has to say and help us put together a more complete picture of who and what Antichrist is. These include Revelation 13, verses 11-18, to 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 12 in Daniel chapter 7. Over the next couple of podcasts, I want to open each of these up and almost like putting together a puzzle, piece together all that the Bible has to say about the Antichrist. In doing so, I believe we can identify some important distinctives that help take us, help take Antichrist out of the realm of popular culture, i.e. the images in our minds through movies, books, songs, and ground our understanding instead on what the Bible says. We'll discover, I believe, the truth that Antichrist is both present and active now as a part of our contemporary culture, and yet he is to come. We'll also discover that there are not just one, but many Antichrists that are at work in our world today, while at the same time recognizing that there is one unnamed Antichrist who is yet to come. Finally, we'll discover the primary realms within which Antichrist works. And this is where I think our study will get interesting. We'll look at the realm of politics, unquestionably one of the primary realms where we should anticipate and look for Antichrist to be at work. Also, the realm of religion. I thought about this, by the way, this week we celebrated National Day of Prayer. So how did our culture lift up? What went on? in the name of prayer around our, our country. I can tell you this, you could see Antichrist's fingerprints all over what was, what was announced on the news and celebrated within popular culture. So this is where I want to take us over the next couple of podcasts. For today, I want to close by just pointing you back to the scriptures that make up the Bible's teaching on this topic. If you have time before next week, I want to encourage you to take a look at John's words in 1 John chapter 2, pay special attention to verses 18 to 22 and we'll jump in there next week i'm excited about this study i'm thankful for your presence and being part of this podcast until next week i want you to know i'm praying for you and i'm going to ask for your prayers uh, for me we absolutely need them until next week have a god-sized week mm -hmm.